Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, fellowship. Thank you for the four of you that participated. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, fellowship. Good morning. All right, so much better. Hey, I am, uh, I'm super excited. I am not going to try in any way to compete with that Father's Day prayer that Brian gave because that was amazing, was it not? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, my blessings will be a, a little simpler. Dads, I, I, I pray that all of your real meat or plant-based meat dreams come true today. Uh, I, I pray that, you know, they would bring enough jerky to share with the class. I pray that uh, all of your freshly mowed lawn lines would be straight. Uh, most of all, I just, you know, all of us in the room together, um, I know for us, you know, my relationship with, with my dad has not always been what I had hoped it would be over the years. And so for all of us in this room, I, I, I do pray that this would be a Father's Day where we're able to take whatever the next step into healthy relationship looks like with fathers and sons. And for everybody, that's different. For some of us, it might just be to, to, to pray for our dad. For some of us, it might be a conversation. For some of us, it might be forgiveness. Some of us, it might just be joy and celebration. Whatever that is, I pray that we would all kind of find that next step for each of us. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the student ministry pastor here at the Franklin campus. Um, I've done student ministry for over 30 years right now. And I keep thinking to myself, you know, people always ask, you know, at some point, are you going to, you know, get a real job? And I, uh, I, I say, no, this is, this is what I love. I have moments where we're, we feel like we're kind of getting back to regular student ministry. A couple months ago, we had over 200 students between the Franklin and Brentwood campus, uh, uh, young ladies at a camp called CNBA, Camp No Boys Allowed. They met at the Brentwood campus, over 200 of them to worship together and learn together. And uh, a couple weekends ago, we took 120 guys and leaders to a camp called Forge up on the Ocoee and did some whitewater rafting. I, I had one of those 51-year-old uh, youth pastor moments. There were these 16-year-old guys who were, who were playing basketball, and I thought, you know what? That's a good idea. I should totally jump in on that. And uh, I, I, I went down, and I sprained my ankle. And I, I would like to say that it was like guarding one of them. No, it was just taking a shot. And I literally came down, and uh, one of the 16-year-old guys came over and goes, hey, let me help you up. Just walk it off which was awesome when I was in my 20s, right? Um, not as awesome in your 50s. And so I came down the next time playing defense and rolled my ankle again. And they picked me up and said, shake it off. And, and then we went rafting and that was the ankle that I used to brace myself. And then over the weekend, I came home on a bus ride and you know how much space. And so literally I came home and uh, I was walking around like a pirate for a couple of weeks. It was awesome. But uh, I love student ministry. Uh, we are, we're in a series on uh, Proverbs, and uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about one proverb today. And I have loved this series. I've loved the idea of, of, of taking these nuggets and, and trying to understand what it is that God would be saying to us. Um, we live in a, a, a unique space, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give us a little challenge today. They always say when you're, when you're teaching, you shouldn't just like read long paragraphs because people struggle with that. But I, I believe in this group. 
I, I do, I, I believe in this group. I, I, it looks it's very, very smart looking group. I can just feel it. And so uh, I'm gonna read three paragraphs and it's from a, a study uh, from the Barna group. George Barna has been for years doing studies of the church and generations. And as I've gotten older, I've, I, I've watched kind of the progression of generation after generation after generation. And uh, he did this study in the summer of 2019. This was right before everything started to shut down. And, and there's some new studies coming out that, that what I'm about to read to you has only expedited what has happened in this upcoming generation. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read these three paragraphs. You just uh, follow along and see if there's something that jumps out to you. More than one third of Gen Z, 37%, believes it is not possible to know for sure if God is real, compared to 32% of all adults. Uh, on the other side of the coin, teens who do believe one can know God exists are less likely than adults to say they are very convinced that is true, 54% versus 64% of all adults who believe in God. For many teens, truth seems relative at best and at worst, altogether unknowable. Their lack of confidence is on pace with the broader culture's all-out embrace of relativism. More than half of all Americans, both teens, 58%, and adults, 62%, agree with this statement. Many religions can lead to eternal life. There is no one true religion. There's a sense among Gen Z that what's true for someone else may not be true for me. They are much less apt than older adults, especially boomers, 85%, to agree that a person can be wrong about something that they sincerely believe in, 66%. For a considerable minority of teens, sincerely believing something makes it true. At the same time, some are leaning towards sincerity as a marker for truth, more are leaning hard in the other direction. Nearly half of teens on par with millennials say, I need factual evidence to support my beliefs, 46%, which helps to explain their uneasiness with the relationship between science and the Bible. Significantly fewer teens and young adults, 28%, 25%, than Gen X and boomers see the two as complementary. So let me, let me kind of paint the, the picture for you. You have two very distinct groups of young people that are growing up in this generation. And if you have not noticed, we live in a world right now that's pretty divided, right? And this is, this is no different uh, with the, the generation that is, that is coming up. We live in a, a world, I, I, I find it interesting. I love, I love movies, I love stories, uh, and I, I, love, um, I love Marvel movies. I watch a ton of them. Some people would say too many, but I, I, I love them. And what I have seen is that we now live in this world where it's, it's a one to 10 world where if someone doesn't like what you like, it's not that you can get along, they're just wrong, right? Like if, if, if my favorite movie in the world, somebody else doesn't like it, it's not that they are allowed their own opinion, it's just that they're wrong. We live in this, this one to 10 culture where we live in a world where 
once you've determined what it is that you believe, then we seek out information that will just affirm what we believe. And that creates an interesting dilemma. You got two groups of, uh, of teenagers growing up in this world. Uh, I love the expression, "What because I believe it's borne out over time. What one generation allows, the next will enjoy. And you got these two groups of teenagers that are, that are growing up right now. One of them would say, truth, is, truth is, is what you believe. And then you have another group that says, hey, adults, I see your truth and it doesn't line up with the facts as I see them. This creates a dilemma for us in the church and uh, in discipleship and parenting and all those things. You've got this large group of teenagers that for the longest time, the way we did discipleship work is we said, okay, there's a truth out there. And once you find that truth and you embrace that truth, then you will grow. And there's this big group of teenagers of young adults growing up that go, ah, that's not the, no, truth, truth starts in here. And when I discover what's inside, that becomes truth. And then you've got another whole group that goes, man, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to show me. And, and I get it, mom, dad, I, I get it, church. You're, you're saying, look, this is truth, but I read it and it doesn't necessarily line up with what I believe to be truth. So you, they say when you're, when you're teaching, you, you have to at least know the foundation that you're dealing with. The church for the longest time dealt with the foundation that there is a God and there's a truth about God. And when you find that truth, you're gonna grow. That's not the foundation that we have in the culture that's coming up. So how do, you de- how do you deal with it? This morning's proverb gives us some answers as to what that looks like moving forward. This morning, we're gonna be in uh, Proverbs 10, 19. Proverbs 10, 19, it's, uh, uh, if, if you have looked at the Proverbs, Proverbs 10 through 22 is this amazing section where Solomon just gives like these, these two line zingers. They're like, they're like uh, here you go. Here's, here's what uh, not good life looks like and here's what good life looks like. And you can kind of just take it and begin to digest it. This morning, Proverbs 10, 19, it says this. When words are many, transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. This is the living word of God for us today, and it truly is a living word. I, 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 love, I, I love this proverb, there's, there's so much here. Um, but I was thinking about Solomon as he was writing this, and the thing that I, I kept coming back to is that story that's found in, in 1 Kings chapter three, right? Where, where Solomon is sitting on the throne and, and these two ladies come in and there's a baby. And the two of them are talking about who has the baby. Whose baby is it? Who does the baby belong to? You guys remember this story? You guys, like, okay. So, uh, and they're, they're talking and they're talking and they're using a, a lot of words. My mom used to say, she had this expression, and I believe it, it's, it's borne out. It was this idea that the truth always uses less words. How many of you have, uh, as parents, know that when your kids start like talking a lot and trying to explain something a lot, chances are it's not true, right? 
There's this, uh, there's this idea that the, the truth uses less words. I, I think it's borne out in this, this proverb. But Solomon is sitting there listening to these two ladies and they're, they're talking about, they're arguing over who the baby belongs to and they're going back and forth and using lots and lots of words. And then Solomon, he goes, I'll tell you what we do. Why don't you just rip the baby in half and then each of you can have a piece. Now, like, if you took that on the surface, you're like, that, that's not a good idea. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've heard some bad ideas in my time, and that could be one of the worst ideas I have ever heard. But Solomon understood this, this small portion of words opened the door to what was going on in the heart of both of these ladies, it, it exposed what was deep down in both of them. We, we believe that it is true that exposure is a gift of grace. And sometimes that's hard to embrace, but the idea that in that moment, those few words exposed what was in the heart of those two ladies changed the course of that child and those ladies. And for a lot of us, even to this day, still changes our life today. So uh, that's uh, this, this idea of, of, of talking less and listening more is not only wise, but it's, it's truly biblical. And this is how I want to tackle this. Three things today. I found that as we've gone through the Proverbs, one of my favorite things to do during this series has to have been to take the proverb and lay it over the life of Jesus and the gospels and say, hey, does Jesus live this proverb out? And 100% of the time he does. So we're gonna tackle it three ways. We're gonna ask ourselves this. Is this idea of, of, of talking less and listening more, is it an attribute of God? Is it an attribute of the church? And is it an attribute of me individually? Is it an attribute of God? Is it an attribute of the church? Is it an attribute of me individually? So is this idea, this proverb, is it an attribute of God? Uh, I, I, I do believe God is a great listener. Uh, if you look at 1 John 5, 14 and 15, it says this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests we have asked of him. How amazing is it that as, as, as John is writing this, this idea, you wanna know where your confidence is? Your confidence is in this, that God hears you. It's, it's so interesting. Like over the years as I've had your know, pastoral conversations, one of the things that I, I, I hear all the time is, man, I'm just struggling right now. I wonder, I'm just wondering if God even hears me. How many of you guys have ever had anybody say that to you? Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like we, we just talked about it. Like the truth, what is the truth? Does God hear us? but we still struggle from the inside out, this idea, like there are moments in my life that I go, I don't feel like God hears me. First Peter 5, 7 
It says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. When you begin to combine the truth and the understanding and the feeling of knowing that God hears you and that he cares for you, how life-changing is that? That the God of the universe cares for us and hears us literally changes everything. Psalm 18, six, in my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God. I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Interactive portion of the message. Real quick, just go ahead and point to where the temple of God is right now. Oh my gosh, you guys, talk about a life-changing idea. that God hears me and that he cares for me. And that temple that where he hears my cry and my distress is there all the time. That is a life-changing idea. And that is an idea that we can take into the world and it is something that we have to offer as, as Christians, that Jesus wants to offer, that the world and every other religion doesn't have. A God who understands and cares and hears me. Jesus was the most amazing question asker of ways to, to open our heart to what it is that God wants to say and do in our life. I, I love it. He was, he was hanging out with the disciples and he, he looks at him and he goes, hey, uh, tell me who the people say I am. And they, you're a prophet, you're Elijah. They go after all of these things and he lets them talk. Like he doesn't interrupt them. He just lets them go. And then he gets to a point and he looks Peter in the eye and he goes, but who do you say I am? Talk about a question that just like literally rips at the fabric of his heart and opens him up to go, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. And Jesus responses like, it was not man. It was not man who told you that, but it was the spirit of God. That same Peter, after denying Jesus, he's on the beach and having that lunch, that last lunch before Jesus is about to leave. And Peter is, is, is sharing his heart with Jesus and Jesus lets him go. And then he looks him and he goes, Peter, do you love me? Oh my gosh. Put yourself in that place. The son of God himself that you saw crucified and raised from the dead would look you in the eyes and say, do you love me? That is exposure that is an act of grace. A woman caught in adultery, drugged before Jesus. Jesus, he did a drawing in the dirt and all the Pharisees and religious leaders, they all walk away. And Jesus stands up and he looks her in the eye and he says, where are your accusers? That wasn't just a question. It literally opened the door to her heart in a way that no other question could. One of the greatest attributes of God himself is that he listens well and he asks amazing questions. 
Secondly, is, is this an attribute of, of the church? I, I love the fact that God has set fellowship up well when it comes to the discipleship pathway. See, if you think about it, we, what we have to do is we have to open the door to questions before we can ever get to the point where something is going to change in those choices and decision-making places. What are you thinking about? How does that make you feel? And what desires does that point you to? Those are questions that open people's hearts. Uh, let's just a little experiment, just real, real quick. Just um, one of my favorite questions to ask parents is, uh, "Have you or your children ever read Harry Potter?" Just like over coffee. This is it's like it's like uh, so. As a matter of fact, let's just play the game for just a minute. All right, uh, we're gonna we're gonna actually all go public here. How many of you? or anyone in your household have read Harry Potter? Okay, here's, all right. <laughs> I literally just created turmoil in the church. It's because like some of you, some of you were like, oh great. Now we are going to be exposed to the student pastor that we are leading our children down the road of dark magic. Some of you are like, oh, fantastic. We're going to have to leave the church because the student ministry pastor is going to condone reading Harry Potter. Some of you are just like, if he says the movies are better than the book, I am going to have words. <laughs> Literally one question opens the door to a turmoil in our heart But that question then opens the door to, man, tell me about your family. Tell me about what's going on in your heart and your life. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me what's going well. Tell me what God is doing in you. Exactly a year ago, I was scrolling through Instagram and I, I learned a lot about students scrolling through Instagram. I just wanna... I was scrolling through Instagram and I came across a picture of a young lady who has been fully committed to FSM for, for a really long time, baptized, gone through, through classes and, and, and learned the word of God and great family. And, and you would say, you would say everything, everything looks great. One year ago, I'm strolling through Instagram and I come across a picture now, a young lady had determined, decided that she was going to march in a pride parade. And she held a sign that said, F dash dash dash, what your Bible says, hate is not from Jesus. Now, I just created turmoil in this room. There are, there are literally opinions bouncing around in this place. Like if we could read brains right now, we would be overwhelmed with the number of different opinions. Well, I get a call from mom and dad and say, hey, because they saw the Instagram picture also, can you sit down with us and, 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 and just walk through this with us as a family? I said, absolutely, I would love to do that. I sit down and as I'm, as I'm headed into this conversation, I'm trying to think of like, what is the questions that I wanna ask? What are the things? Because man, I got all sorts of opinions running around in my head, right? All sorts of opinions. What are the questions that I want to ask? I walk in and I ask this one simple question. 
tell me what caused you to put that on that sign. And she looks me in the eye and she goes, you know, I'll be honest, I, I, pro I probably didn't do it the right way, but it was directed at one person in my school. I watched them shove one of my gay friends into a wall and throw their Bible at him and say, read it. That story just got real different, didn't it? Doesn't change truth. I believe 100% in the word of God and, and it's true and it's instruction for life. But I'll tell you, there is a story behind that heart that needs to be explored, that needs to be cared for, that needs to be treasured, that needs to be seen for what it is. Someone who is trying to figure out what God would have them do. As a church, we must be people who speak less and listen more. Ask great questions. That doesn't jeopardize truth. That just builds a bridge to what God wants to do in people's hearts and lives. So is this an attribute of us individually? How many of you have ever had a conversation where you couldn't wait for the other person to stop talking because you had something really smart to say? <laughs> I have about eight of those a week. Romans 12, 17 and 18 says this, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all if possible. So as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You wanna, if we wanna learn to live peaceably with all in a world that is completely divided, we become curious question askers that listen well. I don't know where this quote came from, but it's one that I've held on to for years and I love it, I love it, I love it. It says this, curiosity is so closely connected to love that most people can't tell the difference. When someone sits with you and they say, man, tell me what's going on in your heart and life. Tell me your story. We feel loved. We feel cared for. We build bridges. James 1, 19 and 20, which is by many considered a, a, a wisdom book in the New Testament, says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let every person, every Christian, every small Christ be a representation of Christ in being a great listener, an amazing question answer, asker, so the Spirit of God shows up in our conversations. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 say this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those that hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as 
God in Christ forgave you. Tim Keller puts it this way. He said, uh, investment equals influence. Every one of us want to be people that have influence with the gospel in the world, in the church, in relationships. Well, how do we get that investment? It becomes when we live out this proverb, when we talk less, listen more, ask great questions, to represent Christ the way Christ represents himself to us. Uh, I wanna kind of give the practical application. What do, we, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we walk this thing out in the world that we live? I, I, I think one of the troubles, one of the struggles that we have, right, is we go, but, but truth, is, truth is truth. And there's, there's times where you gotta say, this is truth. What if we worked to the point that we care so well and invest so well and listen so well that when people hear that truth, they embrace it because it comes from a place of love. So I think this is how this walks itself out. When was the last time that you just sat in a place and allowed your heart to feel fill with gratitude for the fact that you have a God who hears you. When was the last time the smile came across your face knowing that you have a God who listens and hears everything that you say? And that in that he cares for you and he loves you. Because then when we walk out into the world and we want to share truth, it comes from a place of, I'm gonna represent Christ the way he's represented himself to me, a listener, a caregiver, one who hears me and knows me. So this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna worship. And during this song, I'm gonna challenge us to do this one thing to dwell on the fact that we have a God who hears us. That, 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 that throne that is set up in our hearts, the thoughts, the hurts, the joys, all the things, he hears us. Because when we feel that and we, we know it and we embrace that truth and we allow the gratitude to, to well up inside of us, when we go from here, we speak less and listen more. We ask great questions. We see God show up in those conversations. Let's allow God's hearing us to well up inside of us this morning.